Here's what Pittsburgh is talking about. Native Americans have not been treated well by this country. Their land has been stolen, their treaties have been broken, and even their graves have been unearthed. The Carnegie Museum of Natural History has more than 700 Native remains and has only made 104 of them available to return to the tribes, despite an over 30-year-old law requiring museums to return them. Today, we hear why it's taking the Carnegie so long. It's Tuesday, March 14th. I'm Megan Harris, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. So Elizabeth, you brought this story to the team. How did you find out about what's happening at the Carnegie and all of these human remains? Well, ProPublica, it's like an investigative news source. Um, I'm sure you're familiar, mm-hmm. but they released this uh, bombshell database, which basically allows you to like search museums, colleges, institutions, you know, like things that may have native remains for native remains in their collections. And and you can basically see if they've had um, or made any effort to return those remains. Uh, being a reporter, I searched up Carnegie um, and the Museum of Natural History popped up really quickly. Um, it's the 33rd largest collection of unrepatriated native remains in the US. Uh, when yeah. I read that, I kind of had like a what moment because I knew yeah. that there was this law in the books that like made it so that they had to return these remains. And repatriation, just to make it clear, that means returning them, right? Like sending them home to a tribe or something like that? Yeah, it's just fancy museum speak, basically, meaning like returning to the original peoples that um, the object or the body is from. So what is the deal with this 30-year-old law then? Yeah. So basically, uh, in 1990, this law came out and it's called the Native American Graves Protection Repatriation Act. It's a mouthful. Um, and so I'm going to short it to NAGPRA. Uh, Thank but basically, you. it's, <laughs> uh, but basically it says that museums and institutions, um, that get like funding from the U.S. government. So, um, and that had like stolen or, or, somehow acquired native remains in their collection and other objects from that grave, they had to figure out which federally recognized tribes or nations they were descended to um, and let the groups know so they could get the remains or objects back. Uh, The museum, the Carnegie Museum of Natural History, has only made 104 of those remains or funerary objects available for return over their, like they have 700 in their collection. So when you think about how much they still haven't made available in that time frame, It's a lot. Yeah. How did the Carnegie even get all of those bodies or objects? Yeah. So I spoke with Amy Coville Murphy. She's the collections manager for archaeology and the head of section of anthropology. I'm just going to say that she is the person at the museum who is responsible for returning these remains. Um, I think that's easier. And she said that they got around 90% of their remains from what's called salvage archaeology, meaning someone was planning on building on top of a gravesite. Uh, and to quote unquote salvage the bodies and the objects that were buried, the museum kind of took them. Uh, that does mean that ten percent of the bodies that might have been might have come from looted or uh, been purchased for the benefit of the museum. So while ninety percent were salvaged, there is the question of where that ten percent came from. Yeah, that's and my brain was doing that math too. Um, it's I guess it's not as bad as the grave robbing I was picturing, but. If this law has been on the books then since 1990, um, more than you've been alive, almost as much (laughs) as I have, why do they still have so many? 
Yeah, I mean, you weren't the only one wondering that. After the ProPublica article came out, the museum got complaints from people, like wondering why and assigning all sort of nefarious reasoning behind it. And they were right to be concerned, at least partially. Um, A lot of museums try to get away with doing research on these human remains uh, by purposefully not finding the nation or tribe to give the bodies back to. No, no, no. Yeah, Amy says that's like very, very terrible way to like exploit this law. It's harmful when you realize that all of this research is being done on black and brown bodies and institutions. We need to give these people agency and how they wish to have been buried. You can learn a lot from the human body thousands of years after we've passed. But I think that giving people agency and and their burial wishes is more important than any of that research could possibly be. Co-signed. Thank you, Amy. Yeah, I mean... Truly, Amy Amy told me that the museum actually doesn't do that, um, the Carnegie Museum of Natural History. Uh, But their big issue is just the whole process of repatriation is just really long and really complicated. I mean, I get that, but it's also been three decades. I mean, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not totally sold. Am I being too harsh on them? Like, how long should this take? Does this take? Yeah, I mean, like she told me that different processes take different amounts of time um, with different tribes and nations. Uh, There's actually one process that took 10 years. Oh, wow. Um, Okay. I know. Yeah, I was able to get on a call with Carrie Wilson. She's the NAGPA director for the Quapaw tribe, um, which was involved in that 10-year repatriation. The tribe is currently uh, pretty far southwest of here um, in modern-day Oklahoma. The Quapaw remains that the Carnegie Museum of Natural History like had uh, were, were there for almost 55 years. And a note here for our listeners, um, you sometimes hear people use the word ancestors. Carrie prefers the term human remains. Um, so we're using that term instead. This tape is a little bit long, but it really does speak to the process. Hi, Carrie. I just wanted to get you on the phone um, to talk about uh, the repatriation the Quapaw Nation did with um, the Carnegie Museum of Natural History. Uh, they had a human. Um, they had some human remains. They were affiliated with the Quapaw, uh, and returning it to you guys seemed like it was a pretty long process. I mean, what did that look like, and um, why did it take ten years? We we did not have email back in those days. You know, back before there were light bulbs and everything. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we we didn't have email. We didn't have Zoom meetings, and we didn't have all the technology that we had. We didn't even have cell phones. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, you know, you start off slow, you send your letters, we get the letters, they go into the tribe, sometimes they went into the abyss and all that kind of stuff. But eventually, I mean, the, the Quapa tribe got their office officially in 1994. So, you know, in, in that time, we were receiving lots of letters and everything from all over the United States, whether they had collections um, that pertain to the Quapa or not. And as a you know, have pointed out the fact that the Quapaws, not many people have heard of the Quapaw Nation. We're a small tribe and we have, I always say we have an identity problem because um, in the history books in Arkansas, back even in the 70s, they were describing the Quapaw people as extinct. Mm -hmm. We deal with mainly archaeological collections and the... um, they're all labeled Mississippian. It's not like I just get something across my desk and I can just look at that piece of paper and say, oh yeah, that's Quapa. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of research because I want to do the right thing. I don't want to repatriate things and, that belong to somebody else that belong to another tribe. I don't want to do that. I want to be sure 
that um, it does pertain to the the Quapaw people. Mm-hmm. Not all tribes think of NAGPRA as being uh, as important as maybe I think of NAGPRA, um, and it, and it's become it's it's been it's evolved. What's the tribe's priority? A lot of times, the tribe's priority are the well, it is. It's the living people. It's mm-hmm. the living tribal members. You know, do they have adequate housing? Do they have um, education? You know, can we have? Do we have money for our education? Do we have money for our children's clothing? Do we have money to assist? You know, people that are in need. NAGPRA doesn't hit that top ten list. Mm-hmm. Because those are the needs of our contemporary living people. How did, you know, having that 10-year, you know, process or time to get that, um, get those remains repatriated allow you to form a relationship with the Carnegie Museum of, um, of Natural History? Well, I'm sure we've gone, you know, we've gone through different staff and so things just took it took its own time. I sent the letters and I said we're culturally affiliated to these sites and went through everything. Amy was great. You know, Amy Coville coming in and working with the Quapaws and bringing the remains back to us. And and then I was I was chair of the cultural committee and we were having a fall gathering and she helped out with that event and went around and sold fifty fifty tickets with me and just rolled up her sleeves and did whatever she could to be a part of that and we certainly accepted that and we very much appreciated it so you can have uh, good things happen Mm -hmm. and in the course of of doing the right thing and and getting these remains back you know on both sides so it's not all evil it's not all negative there's special relationships that form when given the opportunity yeah I mean, once you got the human remains back, I can't imagine, like, what does it feel like to rebury them? Well, you never can, you know, put them all back together. And, and you know, the, the thing about it is we're not talking about full skeletons. We're talking sometimes just a part of a leg bone or um, a jaw. You know, we're not, we're not looking at, at, at full. So we're never able to really do that right thing and um to get them back is is um i can't we take it very seriously and it it really there again it gets the life of its own mm-hmm. and you know it, it's it's we put them back into to the ground to 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 transition in that circular way that we look at life is, you know, dust to dust. Mm-hmm. And so we, we put that back in there. All of the ceremonies and everything that was done was done for those people in their time, in the way and in the customs that they found appropriate. You know, so we can't do that. We don't know that order. We don't know that we could mess things up. So all we do is say we apologize that, you know, this happens hap- has happened to our past peoples, you know, we, we are putting you back in to the ground to return to Mother Earth as you should have. Mm-hmm. That's all we can do. What an incredible process, you know, and, and mental pre- place you have to be to do this work day in and day out. Yeah, Carrie actually referred to this like as a, as a calling um, and like a journey that, that she felt that she had to be on. 
and you know that 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 journey is just one that process is just one example of how complicated it can really get and it's reflective to like her specific perspective and Kwapa circumstances other tribes and nations have really different beliefs um and there are issues that come into play here uh, especially with regard to the 600 unaffiliated bodies um that the Carnegie Museum of Natural History has and unaffiliated i want to make sure i'm following um that means that the museum doesn't know then which nations or tribes these people belong to um, or objects or, or are there other issues that are coming into play here? Yeah, unaffiliated just basically means that the museum hasn't identified a native tribe or nation to give the bodies back to. Okay. Uh, it's the first step of the repatriation process. And when you don't do this, you kind of have like a legal loophole um, to do those like terrible things with regard to research uh, that I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm very glad to hear that that's not something we're doing, but this all still seems so squishy. Yeah, I mean, they're, they, ha it's, they have so many unaffiliated remains, not for that reason, but because our region is like has this issue uh, with what to do with the Mangahela culture remains. Um, that's a native group that lived here before European settlers colonized the area. Uh, we don't know if they actually called themselves Mangahela. That's what we call them. Um, but they left these really impressive burial mound structures here. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, which you like if you're from here you might you might have seen or, or know of. Some of them were destroyed by development and since there's no direct descendants for them to contact, their remains were really left in like a limbo until around 2010 when Nagpra was rewritten to allow for remains to be like returned to geographically related native groups. Oh, so like if two native groups may have shared the same space or the same area and, and one continues to this day, but maybe the other um, we know less about? Yes, exactly. Um, and since we have a lot of these tribes that have like lived in the same area, especially in our region at different times, it can get really sticky and complicated around who to repatriate these remains to. Um, the other aspect that could have like contributed to the high number uh, of like remains that are still at the Carnegie Museum of Natural History is the issue of transportation um, of the remains. Since the law doesn't really state who's responsible for the transport of the bodies, the museum used to have a policy that required that native groups like come to the museum to get their remains uh, and funerary You've objects. You've got to be kidding me. Yeah, <laughs> Amy, like Amy said that that's something that she's worked to change. And that's like a huge cost for, you know, the tribes or nations. It is. I mean, that's a huge financial burden, but it also like colonizers were the ones who caused this problem. And then the descendants of those colonizers say, yeah, if you want them back, you have to pay for it. What is that? Yeah, no, it's it's a little bit crazy. I mean, luckily, the Carnegie Museum of Natural History isn't doing that anymore. Um, and the tribe or nation might have more pressing issues. Like that was a point that Carrie raised, you know, getting to Pittsburgh to pick up uh, to get these remains or funerary objects might not be the most pressing or feasible issue for the for the tribe or nation. Uh, but the museum is actually now doing the work to provide the transport to the native tribe um, or nation if that tribe or nation wants it.
The show today is brought to you by an incredible local resource, AIDS Free Pittsburgh, and their pledge to end the HIV AIDS epidemic in Allegheny County by 2030. If that is a cause that is close to your heart, make sure you're around for their biggest event of the summer, the sixth annual Too Hot for July. It is a party, but it is also a chance to get confidential HIV and STI testing for free, plus info on the incredible preventative medicines we have now to keep yins happy, healthy, and feeling your most confident out on the town. So come on out to Allegheny Commons East Park on Thursday, May 30th. Yes, July is in the name, but the event is in May. Don't get confused. May 30th from 4 to 10 p.m. There will be DJ sets, a health fair and marketplace, a ballroom-inspired dance battle, cash bar, food trucks, and more. Plus, a performance by Tony Award winner Alex Newell, a.k.a. Unique, from Glee. This is all thanks to True Tea Pittsburgh and so many folks doing the good work out here in the community. So do not miss out. Learn more at TooHotForJuly.com. So, okay, I guess this explains why we still have so many um, and why the process of getting them back can be so difficult. Um, But what happens after that, you know, when when these remains do make it to something like a final resting place? So it depends on the tribe or nation um, and different groups have different beliefs around the best move, like best moves forward. Um, But Amy actually referred to this last bit, the reburial, as the hardest part of the whole process. One of the hardest parts of repatriation work is finding a safe place for reburial of the human remains and associated grave goods, um, which is the reason that we don't talk about it or advertise what we're doing um, when we're doing repatriation work. So not only do we not advertise it because it's what we should be doing, um, but also because, and I hate that I have to say this out loud, people will dig the, the human remains and burial goods back up in hopes to maybe sell them um, for a profit um, or morbid curiosity. Um, so we, we don't advertise this work a lot for the safety of the human remains that we're reburying. Yeah, I was thinking about that aspect, and it seems like such a re-traumatizing effect for the community whose um, remains have been taken once before and then taken again uh, to have to um, contend with yeah, that seems like an incredibly difficult situation. If that Has that happened for you guys in the past, or is that just a concern? It's a major concern. Working in the museum, you, you start to realize things like way more people than you thought have human remains in their houses that they just collected when they were younger. I think there's was a disconnect at some point from these human remains actually being once living, breathing people, which they very much are. I think that last part is so important to just keep in mind that these are not, ob- they're not all objects. They're people. They were people. And it, it's really important to remember that their descendants and communities exist and thrive today and that they have a right to take care of um, the people that came before them. So zooming out a little bit, I guess, you know, the Carnegie Museum has this enormous native exhibition in its larger collection um, in their space over in Oakland. Um, does that include any of these remains? I mean, is it appropriate to go there and participate, you know, as Pittsburghers and consumers in that kind of a collection? Yeah. So the remains aren't on display, um, as far as I know. Good. And thank you. 
Um, and I actually do think it's it's really important to go and see these objects. Um, Amy Covell Murphy has a really great working relationship with a lot of the nations and tribes whose objects we have. Um, and, you know, she works really hard and so does the museum to make sure those objects get the spiritual care that they, you know, need under the beliefs. Like some objects um, they're supposed to take out so they can, you know, be in the sun uh, once a month. Um, and the exhibition actually, the current exhibition is native led. So, you know, how the objects are arranged, um, like the the write, written like kind of cards to give you information uh, are all written by like the native community whose objects they are. So I really do think that the museum is is doing what they um, doing the best that they can, and also you know reaching out to native peoples to make sure that uh, they get a say in how these objects are being presented and cared for. Um, and that's really important. And uh, you know it's an incredible exhibition. I've been. I hope all of you get to go too. Well, um, Elizabeth, thank you so much for bringing this to our attention. Um, I just want to express our incredible gratitude um, to the folks who did speak to CityCast for this story, um, you know, on tape and off. Um, it's through their generosity that we're able to share these stories. Yeah, Carrie especially. She's the busiest person I have ever met. <laughs> Um, and if you, dear listener, want to learn more about this, um, we really encourage you to do some more research. Elizabeth found a ton of great reporting about it, um, including some national journalism um, and a federal register. We've also talked to the Carnegie in the past about their own history with a very specific and really problematic piece of taxidermy still on display called Line Attacking a Dromedary. Um, we'll have a link to that in our show notes. It's all just a lot. Um, but we encourage you to read up. We'll have those links in our show notes. Elizabeth, thank you again for looking into all of this and sharing it with CityCast Pittsburgh. Thanks for giving me the space to do it. A little more news before you go. The local airport is ditching its beloved people mover for our city's preferred infrastructure, a bridge. And they say it'll look like the view out of the Fort Pitt Tunnel. Pittsburgh International is planning to spend, I cannot believe I'm saying this, $1.4 billion on their new, new terminal, which is now set to open in 2025. Reminder, before they put up all those coming soon signs, they'd had up a bunch saying how great the older current terminal was. If you remember, that one cost a billion dollars when it was built and it just celebrated its 30th birthday. Speaking of celebrations. It's March Madness. That was the boys at Pitt cheering because they're headed to the tournament. And for the first time in over a decade, the University of Pittsburgh, Penn State, and West Virginia have all qualified for the NCAA tournament. Pitt will have to play in this week as part of the first four. If you're not familiar, that's college basketball's new-ish way of sneaking even more basketball into our lives. But if Pitt wins, they'll advance to the regular bracket. Meanwhile, West Virginia is ranked ninth in the South, and Penn State is ranked 10th in the Midwest. And if you remember your middle school math, it's Pi Day, March 14th. Check out today's newsletter for some fun ways to celebrate in the Berg. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. You did hear me right there. Even the NCAA thinks that Pitt and Penn State are in the Midwest. Shout out to sports writer Stephen Thompson for that tape. But if you disagree, well, boy, do we have a show for you later this week. 
Make sure you're signed up for that Hey Pittsburgh newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye, y'all. How do we feel about a bye-bye? Bye-bye out of a Midwest reference felt right.